Hey, Billy, I'm wondering, have you been looking for a way to get better as a coach? Uh, always. That's good because you could do it by using GMS Plus. It's a great resource for courses, drills, stats, videos, tips, and much more. Many of the game's winningest coaches and players, including Heather Olmstead, Keegan Cook, John Spira, Mike Wall, and Courtney Thompson, have used it or are a part of it. They're also actually have been former guests, so you know they're good. Personally, I've learned a lot from Gold Medal Squared, as have many of our guests. So if you're looking to win a state championship or an Olympic gold medal, GMS Plus will help you get there. Get 20% off an annual subscription today. Go to goldmedalsquared.com backslash CYBO and enter CYBO. That's goldmedalsquared.com slash CYBO and enter coupon code CYBO. Welcome to Coach Your Brains Out, the show that explores learning from the top minds in volleyball and beyond. With your hosts, John Mayer, Billy Allen, Andrew Fuller, and Nils Nielsen. So going going into uh, one of the next parts you talked about in the book is the the challenges of being a coach and how it's not a balanced profession, not a balanced lifestyle. It's mm-hmm. there's always something to do. It consumes you. I mean, that's why it's so awesome, but it's also so hard. Yeah. So what what do you recommend for coaches? What did you do to maintain a healthy healthy lifestyle with with those challenges in mind? Yeah, so it's not, it's not balanced at all. And so I think the first thing you have to accept is that that's what you've signed up for. Um, so, so as you go through it, and it's hard, and, and you are, you know, on that phone call at eight o'clock at night, or you get that text at three in the morning, or, you know, whatever it is, um, and you haven't had a weekend for four months or whatever. Part of it is just, okay, this is what I signed up for. You know, and, and and not assigning an emotion to it, just accepting that, you know, if, if, you, if you're going to complain about it, then it's clearly not the job for you. And that doesn't mean that you have to uh, not acknowledge the work or at least um, understand that you're, you're giving so much of yourself to the profession. But that's really what it takes, I think, as in, well, how about this? I think that's really what it demands, mm-hmm. which might be semantics, but I think it's also true. So, you know, the 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 formula isn't a formula. It, it's it's as I said in the book, this idea like, hey, how, how are the significant relationships in my life? Are they healthy and strong? Then I'm probably okay. If they're not, then you know, I got to look at it. But um, this thing is is it's 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 big, and and it should be right. Like you said, it's consuming and. That's part of what makes it great, but I think that's also, you know, part of the deal why why it can get to be so so challenging. Did you carve away areas just for selfish things? I mean, not that like exercise and I don't know guilty pleasure like a Netflix show, or do you carve away that time, or is that is that just not not fit well, in the profession? Yeah. So when I was coaching the national teams, it was, you know, part of the reason I I got uh, away from that was just because you never felt you could, you know, like, you you know, you've got four years to be good for two weeks to hope to be great for those last two hours. And that's that, you know, the clock is ticking. And so everything is an opportunity cost decision. <laughs> and that's, it's, it's tough. But that again, that's what you signed up for. So you know it. So, you know, am I, am I going to go meditate or, you know, go to a yoga class or whatever? Well, sure, I could. But now that's at the expense of, you know, is there another, knowing how thin the margins are, mm-hmm. knowing the difference between winning and losing is going to be a point here and a point there. Well, you know, how do you reconcile that? And mm-hmm. and 
I'm not saying I have an answer to that, but that's kind of the the stuff you get into. So when I accepted the the job to coach the men, I I was really clear, like, hey, we're gonna go as hard as we can for four years. Like we're gonna give it everything and then we'll be good enough or not. But at least at least we'll have tried. You know, you don't want to live the life of regret where you know the woulda, coulda, shoulda. So okay, it's gonna be consuming. That's that. So yeah. I think in college, the problem is you just get pulled in so many different directions. Hmm. It would be great if it was just like, hey, we're trying to win a national championship. We've got a year and you can do everything you can to win a national championship. But you're not. You've got this academic piece. You've got this personal development piece. You know, when you choose to be about holistic development, uh, you know, all those other things start occupying space in your mind as well. And, And so, again, it just there's, there's always something there. So it's just, it's just hard. Yeah. So in the new role, will you get to do some yoga retreats or do we, is it stay? It doesn't change. John, I'm, I'm, it's really hard for me to get my head around the fact that my time and my energy is more, more my own. Um, so, you know, maybe if we, if we connect in a month or two, I'll, I'll offline, I'll, (laughs) I'll tell you more about it, but I'm just still trying to yeah. Get get used to it. Yeah. Um, I'm not complaining, you know, but right. um, but it's yeah, it's been cool. I think your family is gonna be I think maybe you should go back to coaching. They're gonna get sick of you. Huh? You're so much, <laughs> you're like, so much Dad, energy. you're here again. Come on, man. <laughs> yeah, it's time ex- to get on the road, Dad. Yeah. Yeah. No. Well, it'll be exciting to to discover in the next steps. Yeah. Yeah. So one of my favorite parts of the book, I thought it was a really smart idea to include was your former players' voices. You had interviews mm. throughout kind of, I don't know, it was every couple of chapters you'd have an interview. Yeah, thanks. And one of them was with one of your former Minnesota players, Daly Santana. Yep. yep. And she she talks about this idea of being a, that you had introduced this idea of being a woman and a warrior. Yeah. And uh, I was wondering if you'd go into that and, and uh, take us through what that means. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, the, first, the the interviews were, uh, I thought it, I didn't, I didn't want the thing to be, the book to be kind of a one-way deal, right? I understand I have my perspective and here's the science and here's how you apply it, blah, blah. But I also thought it'd be really interesting for the reader to see how that stuff was received so that it wasn't just my opinions or whatever. It was like, well, here's how we saw it on the other side of that. Because remember, it's kind of designed for athletes and coaches and, and parents of athletes. It's, there's not just a coaching book. I, I hope it's for other people as well. But to your point, the female warrior was something that uh, I actually was investigating or you know, messing around with a little bit with the women's national team when I was coaching that, that group. And mainly it was just a reflection on how, uh, how I felt that society tended to marginalize, at least at that time, marginalize uh, female uh, athletic success or, or, or prowess. Um, And as we got into things with Minnesota, with, with that particular group, we, we were trying to figure out our identity as a program. You know, the first couple of years I, I was there, we, we were able to influence, you know, some technical sc- stuff and some system stuff, but I didn't really touch the culture because, you know, the people that were there had, they, they were recruited under a different kind of set of rules, you know what I mean? So I, I, I just wanted to get the lay of the land and really try to, t- I, I think, you know, you only get one shot to really shift the needle on the culture piece. So I wanted to wait until I felt I had the light, the right group and the, the right moment. So anyway, all that being said, as we got into it in 2014, we we understood more about 
the values, you know, the hard work and, and, and uh, learning and competing and all that kind of stuff. Then we started getting more into, well, what does it look like as a team when we go out there? And, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, I say this in the book, this idea you can learn to compete. Uh, I wanted to find ways to connect our athletes to this idea of, you know, kind of uh, not, not the warrior mentality as in, um, you know, whatever, beating your chest and doing all that stuff. But just this idea of of kind of taking full responsibility for who you were in the moment. To me, you know, competing is is being at your best when your best is needed. And 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 I think that takes a lot of discipline and emotional control, self-control and a lot of skill. But um, I wanted them to kind of tap into that and maybe even push back a little bit about whatever they felt society's narrative was around their performance or their team or what it was to be a, a female athlete. And so it was really amazing to me. I, I gave them this project and I said, hey, here's here's some things to think about. Kind of female warrior. We, we chatted about it. And then I said, uh, why don't you guys go away and see what that means to you and try to put something together. And they put that that video together. It's on YouTube. And it was um, I thought it was profound, you know, for college age kids to come up with that and and the way they did it, it i was blown away i thought it was amazing can you talk about uh co-opetition and how you foster it at practice yeah so the co-opetition piece is uh is yeah it's an old term from the early 1900s i think it was like in whaling or sealing or something but anyway um I, I, these days, it's it's kind of more of a uh, you know game theory and 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 more of a business thing. But I think in sport, it's really uh, relevant as well. This idea that within the team, even though we're competing, we're actually uh, working together. That that it, it probably speaks to this bigger discussion about what is competition. And and I think many people see competition as as a binary kind of one or a zero thing, you know, you won or you lost versus the idea that, you know, I know John's better than I am, but if, if he knows he's going to start this weekend, there's no incentive for him to work hard. And, and I'm not very good. We know that, but if, <laughs> if I don't work hard, then there's, uh, sorry, if, if I know I'm not going to start, then, well, then there's no incentive for me to work hard. And if I play a team versus B team and a team kicks our butts every week, well, then again, well, what, what are we doing? So, what I'm trying to have people at least consider is there could be a different way of going about competition that we could see it as this opportunity for John and I to, to battle every day. And yeah, he's better than I am right now, but maybe I can improve. And, and if through my efforts and my ability to learn and make change, I can, I can improve and maybe beat him. Well, then I can change my stars. Uh, maybe, John now isn't quite as complacent and he has to work hard too to push back because I'm chasing him. And now we get this thing where the rising tides lift in both boats and it's not uh, a one or a zero. It's this idea that we worked really hard and we all got better. And because we all got better, the team got better. How, how would you create that? Was that the environment in practice or is that conversations you're having with maybe that, that junior who's ahead of the freshman and having them try to mentor? How do you go through that? Well, it's it's all of that. And it's difficult because the current social narrative around performance is about outcomes. You know, there's no one that's, you know, 
getting into this conversation about, you know, help your teammate by, by, you know, supporting them and, and being selfless in that regard. So we, re, we talk a lot about trying to shift from probably their socialization, which is be the best one on the team and get them into a space where, hey, can you be the best one for the team? And that doesn't preclude you from having exceptional performance, but the idea that the great ones make those around them better is, is a real thing. Now, I understand they had to get great themselves, but, but the idea that you can uh, add synergy or, or add value to a team's performance by being not only good yourself, but helping those around you, I think that's a real thing. And I think as coaches, we identify that, we love that. I just don't think we teach to it very often. So we try to present that pretty early on. It's like, hey, no one's going to win this thing alone. Uh, you have this responsibility to your improvement, but you also have a responsibility to your team and your teammates, and you've got to honor both those things. And, you know, I think uh, now we're off on another tangent, but the teammate thing is really important for me. I think it, it, so many of our expectations around these groups are based in this idea that we're all going to be friends, which is at the very least naive, right? The idea that you're going to have 12 to 18 best friends every year on a team, on a volleyball team, is probably unlikely. But you can be a great teammate. And so I tell them again from the beginning, like, hey, you can be a great teammate. And that's a bigger responsibility than being a good friend. You know, I mean, that doesn't preclude, preclude friendship or being friends. But maybe there isn't someone you jive with. Well, that's cool. You can still be a good teammate for three hours and then you don't have to see him. That's fine. Yeah. So, yeah, you can be friends the rest of your lives. You're only teammates one to four years. So honor that commitment, be a great teammate. And we had, you know, some rules and well, I don't know rules, but some ga guidelines or, or some expectations, behavioral expectations around what it was to be a good teammate. Mm. I think you had mentioned in the book, and I was so happy to read it, the idea that teams don't have to be families. Cause I feel like I hear that thrown out <laughs> a bunch. And I'm like, are we supposed to be like, am I doing it wrong? Is this not like a family? But yeah. like, no, this is different than my family. We're, we're, you know, we are, we're a team and we're competitive and we're, Right. Uh, yeah, it's a different dynamic. So I was glad you, that you wrote that because I think it's it's thrown out like that's just how it's supposed to be. Well, and I and what is a family these days anyway? You know what I mean? Like, right. I mean, it, I just think it it's. Um, I, I understand what they're trying to convey, but I just think it's the wrong, the wrong message. And you know, let's yeah, in, in family, like I said, you have to tolerate dysfunction because it you're genetically connected. You you have yeah. no choice, but. On teams, you don't necessarily have to choose to be a part of that. You can, mm -hmm. you can play with people that have earned the right to be there. So yeah, I'm I'm with you. I think, yeah, I get what they're saying, but I think they're saying it wrong. I think you know we what we want to be is a high functioning team. Right. Right. And, uh, the idea of putting family around that, uh, yeah, I'm not sure it helps anyone. Yeah, I agree. So going to this, going back to the first chapter and kind of into the nitty gritty of practice. You talk about mm. the difference between outcome goals, task goals, and daily goals. How would you go through each and how do you use them uh, at UM? Right. So that uh, model uh, was my way of trying to reconcile the connection of deliberate practice and all of Anders' research, um, you know, and, and how that could work in, in complicated skills and systems such as sports. Anders and I met in a in a, a USOC conference in the early or mid 2000s 
and uh, we stayed in touch. He he came to our practice and we had him in our gym in Minnesota a few times, and he was phenomenal. And it was just such a it's such a tragedy that 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 we don't have him and, and Ravi and Carl. You know all this, these great people yeah. that that aren't here yeah. anymore. But yeah. anyway, um, how wonderful! At least I felt this responsibility to try to build some of their legacy into this into this book. You know, I mean, here's Anders, the world's preeminent expert on expertise and and we no one had really discussed I, I think this idea of well we want to be experts in sport probably as much as we want to be in any domain so how does that work so to your question uh the idea of the daily goal was the best way i thought to connect this idea of intentional practice to what we hope to achieve in the outcome and so the the idea was okay we're we're trying to be national uh, LMU beach volleyball we're trying to win the the beach volleyball national championship okay that's the outcome goal um, and then you know the the idea of the big rocks little rocks you know Covey uses that as time management and uh, and you know we talk about that as as identifying task priorities and task goals so that um, you know it's well documented I think anyone that's been to a well, I haven't been to a gold medal squared clinic for forever, but anyone that's been to one, there's probably the the discussion at some point about two and 27, right? Best blocking team in the nation, but we weren't any good at anything else. And so um, uh, can we figure out what really matters relative to achievement and, and probably in an elite level sport, not just what matters, but at what level of execution. And so then connect that to what you have to do today. So you know, it, it, to me, it made a lot of sense to link in deliberate practice through daily intention, connect daily intention to the the task goals, the big rocks, the things that you have to do that, that are non-negotiable relative to giving yourself the best chance of achieving the outcome and then having the outcome kind of be down the road, but also be something that we're con constantly mindful of with our daily intention. Does that make sense? I feel like I waffled there a little bit, but. <laughs> no, yeah, no, you had a lot of as it was even just cool as you said it. I was like, oh yeah, the the when I think of the book, how we have Revisa, Ken, and Anders, how those mentors, like each section in this section for sure, talking about the task goal, how Anders Erickson, but the influence they've had and just how you carry on this legacy through the book. I, that's what got me going when I heard you say that. <laughs> right on. Yeah. yeah, I mean, how I just consider myself really fortunate. I mean, how lucky to hang out with Anders. You know, we we did a thing at the Twins spring spring uh training for a few days one time and got to hang out and i don't know just he was just this profound guy and and unbelievably academic and so uh, sport wasn't his lane right that wasn't his wheelhouse but he was just so passionate about this pursuit of expertise it was just wonderful and so yeah finding ways to to connect his body of work to this really important domain and and I, especially given how um, misunderstood so much of what he was about has become through you know different authors kind of kind of pigeonholing what the research actually was whereas I was trying to speak to like hey here's here's what it was all about and here's why maybe you want to think about it a little differently yeah in the book you talk about like once practice starts athletes have to cross the line mm. uh, to signal they're focused and attentive can you talk about the importance of that and I guess how you create that kind of practice environment where it's not just talk. Yeah, it, it's difficult, of course, because you don't live in their heads. Um, but but 
all we know about behavior is you get what you tolerate. So can we have our athletes, you know, again, connected to this idea of daily intention? Here's what I'm working on today. And, and that could be in the physical, mental, or social space. Here's what I'm working on. And, you know, to that, to that, to that idea, I'm saying like whatever was going on in freshman English, you know, we, we can't do anything about it now for the next two hours, we got to be here or, you know, that text that, or that social media post or who knows, right? I don't know. All of those distractions can pull you away from the task at hand. And again, we go back to efficient and effective and we only get so many hours and, and we only get so many days and so many years. And so it just seems like we want to squeeze every drop we can out of everything. So I'm not saying that just by throwing that concept out that everyone's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, we're going to do it. I think you, it's probably a learned behavior like everything else. But if you lay that as the expectation, like, hey, take a breath, like let's stop practice at the board and let's all just take a breath and kind of get standard and get present. And whatever your day was, let's kind of put that off to the side. And here's what you can do right now. Well, let's get into that um, versus fretting or worrying about whatever concerns you might have that you can't do anything about because you're here. So if you're here, be here. It seems yeah. like a, a good reminder and mindset for the coach as well. Well, I think that's the exact, you know, whether, whether you like it or not, they're watching, right? Your athletes are watching. And so one of the things you want is this idea of the space between what you say and what you do to be really small and, you know, this consistency piece. So yeah, if you're distracted because someone cut you off in traffic on your way to practice or something, uh, well, they're going to be distracted too. You, you can't, you know, if you want them to work hard, you've got to be the hardest working person in the gym. If you want them to cross the line, you've got to be able to cross the line every day. Like it's up to you. You've got to live it. And, mm. you know, and, and then you got to say it and then you get to hold them to the standard. Mm. That's great. Uh, there's this section that another one that kind of like the family part was like, Oh, that's great. Uh, I, I was lucky enough, as you know, to play for Marv Dumphy. And, sure. and I think he, he's one of the best at, at role clarity, you know, here's your role. Do you accept it? And he's really clear. And, I think one of my issues is I thought about it as, as I become a coach, you know, I want to have role clarity, but then I also thought about, you know, you think about the research with Carol Dweck, I'm just saying what mm -hmm. they are and it's a permanent deal. I thought yeah. you explained it in a different way. That was really helpful. I don't, I don't know if you could take us through that a little bit. Sure. So uh, I also agree. Role clarity is really critical, but you don't want it to be a definitive uh, conversation. You want it to be this idea like, Hey, this is what we need you to do today. And so by adding, uh, today, this is your role today versus this is your old period. I, I think those conversations became much healthier because what we do know is, um, you know, the, there's lots of randomness in life. And so tomorrow we might have a tactical si situation that uh, demands this athlete's skill set, or someone might get injured or uh, who knows, right? Something could happen and we need to make a change. So, you know, what they were today, uh, we might utilize their skills differently tomorrow, but also the idea of like going back to coopetition. Okay. Here I am today. Well, what do I need to do to change? Well, here are the things you need to do. Okay. Well then I can work. And if I can get better, then maybe my role is different tomorrow. So it, it doesn't become such a defining statement. It just is right now, this is what we need you to do. And that could change tomorrow, but it might not. We'll see, you know? Yeah, yeah, the power of adding that one word. I even think in terms of maybe as an athlete, you know, talking about your skill, like the opponent was better today or it's exactly right. I yeah. didn't play my best today. Yeah. Yeah. And and you know, one of the things I was 
I, I, I know there's a lot in the book. I wanted it to be substantive, but, but we would, that idea of um, kind of in the, in the negative bias piece, the way we self-talk, we tend to think or talk in very kind of big, absolute kind of dramatic terms, yeah, you know, always, that was terrible. Never, I, I yeah. suck. This is it. Like yeah. we're saying these as absolutes and adding today probably softens it a little bit. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, that hits on our, our the last couple of questions we wanted to ask going into the mental skills side. I, I was really excited throughout it. Ken Revisa came up a bunch and yeah, he, uh, he had a huge influence. I, almost every day before I competed, I would read Heads Up Baseball, just a couple of pages and uh, was lucky to <laughs> meet him a couple couple of times and get a big hug from him. And he was so important for, uh, I think, a lot of the sporting world and the, the field of sports psychology, you know, what it is now. Yeah. Um so I was just curious, kind of, I know you spent a lot of time around him and yep. uh, what he's some of the biggest, yeah. yeah, he's, he's the best. So what, what was some of the the biggest ways Ken made an impact on, on your teams and on yourself? Well, I think with the teams, um, you know, you, if, if you want a, a story about Ravi, I think just when we, when we got him to work with the men's national team, we had tried on a couple of different fronts to engage with sports psych, um, and both were very unsuccessful. So we don't need to go into that, but it was like third time, you know, and you're like, man, I, the guys are now looking at me like, what, what's going on? We're going to waste another hour. I mean, honestly, after one of these sessions with one of the first two, I, I pulled the guys out and I apologized. I gave them an hour off of practice the next day. I'm like, mm -hmm. I'm sorry. I sucked that hour out of your life. I'll give it back to you tomorrow. Like that was terrible. So huh. anyway, we were all a little gun shy. Um, but when I was talking to Ravi about it, I was like, you know, Ken, this is the group and this is the history, you know, tell me how you want to frame this. And he just said, look, I'll, I'll give you 45 minutes. And if the guys want me back, they want me back. And if they don't, no problem. <laughs> you know, whereas the other two guys were so busy kind of forcing their whatever sports psych agenda down everyone's throats. And it just felt really disingenuous whereas Ravi was so comfortable in his own skin and was just like hey you know it's cool if they want me they want me if they don't they don't and it kind of it, it just spoke to his belief and conviction in, in what he was about and to me what he was about was this idea of the real application in the arena not not just the theory of whatever psychological domain you came from but like how does it actually work in sport and in life and um, that was the power. So for me, he just became this really dear friend. And, um, you know, we, we chatted a bunch and, uh, again, you know, we, we had him in the national team gyms from time to time. And sometimes it was a good fit. I think with the men, we got into a good space, especially in the, in the serving space, closed loop, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, and some of the other domains, I think with some of the guys, it was good, but really successful with the women. It was, it was good. Uh, a little bit more hit and miss because we were trying to change a lot with that team. And, and, you know, maybe that was too much, but we also had him had him with, uh, with our athletes in, in Minnesota. And so one of the things, you know, we got story time with Ravi here, but one That's of the great. things was going on was um, we were in practice with many and, and he would be like, Hey, you know, when you're getting ready to serve, you know, work the breath. And then he's like, and, and have a look at your hand and get ready. And, and so all of these kids, I think it was probably 2017, all these athletes got into this thing where they'd go back and look at their hand. And I was like, why the hell? Are you, like, you don't, like, it's there. I promise you don't have to look. But then I would have coaches calling me and like, hey, 
I, we, we see all of your athletes are looking at their hand before they say, what, what's, what's going on there? What's all that about? And I'd be like, yeah, just thank, thank Ravi for that. Yeah. I'm not sure what it does, but if it works for him, more power yeah. to him. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, no, I think I had the same experience reading different sports psychologists listening to, or it felt, you know, poetic and philosophical and then meeting Ken and reading Ken is like, Oh, I can use that tomorrow. Oh, yeah, that's right, going to make right. an impact right away. And that's where he yeah. was, I think, so great at what he did. Yeah, he was awesome. He was awesome. What are what are some of the mental skills that you learned from Ken that you use most often with your teams? Well, I, yeah, there was nothing, I think, specific. To, Other than to looking at Ken. the hand. Yeah, looking at the hand, that was the biggest one. No, <laughs> but just the idea of, you know, working the breath, you know, oxygen in the lungs, oxygen in the brain, give yourself a, 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 a space between, uh, you know, kind of uh, emotional response and action. I think that's a really important thing. We tend to, I speak a lot in the book to emotional control because I think it's, it's something that we don't coach or teach to very often. And I think it's a really important part of achievement. But things like that, self-talk, visualization, um, you know, the, 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 the kind of the, the basic fundamentals of sports psych. But it's, to me, it's the idea that they, those should be woven into the everyday of practice that the first day of practice, you know, again, let's say we're John, we're saying, hey, we're trying to win the national championship. And we know at some point it's going to get really big. At some point we're going to have to serve with our season on the line or we're going to have to side out with our season on the line like that. That's going to be a thing. So we're not going to wait until it's a thing to talk about it. We're going to start talking about it right now. And here's some things you need to do. You need to learn how to breathe. Not all, you know, all the way in and all the way out. And they're like, coach, I know how to breathe. I've been doing this since I was born. But yeah, no, but really get it in there and get it out. And talk about the idea of like, hey, you're going to have emotion and that's fine. But we also get to respond to the response. And here's how you self-talk. And, and it turns out what you say to yourself is really important. And you're the best feedback mechanism you have. You need to know that. So you have to be helping yourself and you have a responsibility. In the, and then building out into all these different parts of the kind of what, what would deem to be the mental game. But to me, they're just the, the idea of competing and being present and giving yourself something to go to. And the thing I was able to, that, that I love most about the book is here's Andrew's stuff and it connects really well to Ravi's stuff and it connects really well to modal learning and it connects really well to achievement. And all of a sudden, all of these things, all of these elements uh, are, are connected and based in scientific rigor and, you know, have worked over 25 years and they're, they're a thing. And they, it, it makes a lot of sense across the whole thing versus kind of, compartmentalizing all these different parts and then hoping you're going to throw them all together. This is kind of a continuous connected model of how it can all work. And, and that's the thing I, I value most about what I'm trying to put out there is like, Hey, they're, they're, I'm not saying again, it's not formulaic, but Hey, here are some things that work and they all connect and they all kind of make sense when you see them all together. That's great. And you, you pulled it off really well in the book. And I, I hope people will go get it. I, I got mine on Amazon. I don't know if that's the best place, but it's called Championship Behaviors. And uh, they'll learn a lot. We barely tipped, uh, touched on the, the tip of the iceberg here. So there's a lot more to learn as, as people go and read it. Um, but yeah, Hugh, we really appreciate all uh, that you've done and continue to do. You inspire me to be, want to be a better coach and uh, look forward to continuing to learn from you. Hey, it means a lot, gentlemen. I really appreciate you taking the time and the interest. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll come back anytime you want. But thanks for having me. 
enjoy your 50 new hobbies or whatever you're going to be doing <laughs> all your spare time. <laughs> no, no, I, I still got a job. So, yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. But anyway, okay. little my time's more my time, so I'll, I'll save for that. All right. Yeah. All right. Thanks, you. Cheers. All right, see yeah. ya. Bye.